Welcome to Views from the Clutch. I go by the name of Smart Alex. I'm here. See, Graham, what's going on? And we are here today to bring you episode Dirk yes, Nowitzki. Sir. 41. 41. 41. And as always, we would like to take the time out to say a big time thank you to all our supporters, subscribers, people that comment, give us feedback, even those that just look at us in passing, maybe even listen to us for a few minutes and don't say anything. We don't see y'all, but we are aware that y'all exist and we appreciate each and every contribution y'all bring to the table. If ever you would like to reach us directly, you can email us at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. You can also leave a recorded voice note on any of the podcast platforms where we are hosted. Um, you can also tag us on social media at Views from the Clutch on Facebook as well as Instagram. I want to take a real quick moment to say a big time thank you to your people, C. Grant, for supplying us with that surprise that we're going to be yes, dropping sir. real soon. Yo, he got me ready to rap, <laughs> son. Like Yo, that, that. I, I was out of the blue. Like, uh, oh, I like y'all power cast. Yo, I could, you know. But I was like, work? And I appreciate that. Everything that's organic is always going to, you know, is always going to feel that way. And, and again, I don't know the brother's name, so you can go ahead and oh, yeah, give my, him that shout out. Cause my my man, Baron. Crazy. Baron. Um, I forgot his I forgot his his name, but like I said, I forgot his, uh, his, his AKA name. Produ- producer, yeah, tag, producer tag, producer tag. Yeah, uh, Baron, Baron. You said, uh, dude, real humble dude too. I didn't even, you, if you see him, you wouldn't expect that. Oh, oh, you know what I mean? Like you just be like, that, that he yeah, cooking yeah, up fire. I didn't know. I, I, but he, he's real, <laughs> yeah, he yeah, laced us though, dude. Though you know what I mean? So big, big up to Baron. Like I said, he'll obviously hit it, hit his podcast, and he'll hit the shout out. You know, um. Like I said, he definitely put that work in, and on just on some old, yo, you, do you need anything type thing? And I was like, like, what you mean? Like, he produce? I'm like, you were? Oh, can, can you? Yeah, can you? Up, bro. He was like, you know, any particular thing? I was like, yo, you could they do anything like basketball related? And he was like, say less. It's like, all right. <laughs> Next thing you know, he was like, yo, yeah. what's your email? I was like, oh, use from the clutch. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yes. <laughs> next thing you know, you know what I mean? email a cow game used finally. Like, you next me? thing you know. And, 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 and that's what it's all about. So, again, um, we hold no quarrels with anybody who winds up joining the movement late. We're here for y'all. We hope that, you know, you can go back to some of our archives and enjoy classic episodes. There's a lot of reference data that you might want to pull from previous podcasts. And obviously, as time goes by and we continue to accumulate traction on the internet, people are going to continue to find us. So enjoy enjoy joining the train. There's never going to be any prejudice that you got on on stop 20 on, on an infinite stop. You know what I mean? Because we're going to do this for as long as we can to the best of our ability. Um, what are the what are the, the topic forms? Uh, we got a new era handles versus the old guard. Who who do you consider better? We got Luca is a legitimate um, MVP candidate. How in the world is Houston winning? And um, Melo, my man, back in the league, not even just so, back starting. He came from off the couch to starting, B. So let, let's let's lead with let's lead with what obviously is the the, the hot point and something that we could you know clickbait the the podcast with. So we're gonna start with 
Welcome back, one Carmelo Anthony. I wish I knew your middle name so I could say it. You know how like Carmelo, James, Anthony, Rashawn, Anthony, you know, whatever the case may be. Welcome back, brother. Welcome back. You you were missed. And it's it's it feels like the NBA is starting to, you know, I guess you could say become whole again. Because when players that are not in the league that are capable of contributing and definitely bring a attention level just by their presence alone are missing from the game. It, it, it doesn't take away from your enjoyment of watching teams, but it definitely lessens the amount of excitement you can have. So just the idea that Melo was starting a game tonight for the Portland Trailblazers, who were obviously mired in, in, in a really difficult beginning to their season, was an uplifting reason to want to come home and get home fast so that you could just throw on NBA TV and get a look-see at what he contributed. Now, I didn't get to see much of the game by the time I got in. He had already made most of the baskets that he made because I don't think he scored again after, like, the third quarter. So I'm really not sure if I can give a fair estimate of what I saw. But what I did see was that Portland was willing to give him the looks for Melo that we're used to seeing. You know, he got a couple of good, really good post-up mm-hmm. opportunities. And he baby-fooded the hell out of whoever was guarding him. And he took a shot within four feet and it rimmed out. And then I think I saw him on a pull-up jumper that he made. That was from mm. early in the game. He looked like himself. I mean, for for what he is at 35 years old, you know, he looked he looked all right. You know, obviously his defensive issues are going to be what they are because he's never really been a good defender. So you can't expect Melo to come back from the hiatus of what he was on. He was almost out of the game as long as Kristaps Porzingis was. If you if you kind of like really put it in context to like how missing Melo was from NBA basketball. Mm. But um, I'm going to pass it on to you, brother. What did you see, and, and, and what are your takeaways from his first start? Uh, it, t- it came about with – actually, I was surprised Melo started the game. Um, Dame Lillard was out. Melo started. And Melo, the first shot of the game, he missed. You know, uh, second shot, hit a three from, like, the elbow, um, extended, hit the three. And so he ended up four, with four for 14 shooting, 10 points, two or three from the three-point line, four, four rebounds. He had some turnovers, had some fouls, but like I said, I just saw rust. Tomlin was a little off. A couple of times, like he was rushed his shot a little more. They, he could have normally the shots that he was hitting. You could tell he kind of took his time, hit his follow through, but it was other shots that he was kind of thinking that it was just a little off. But from from sitting on your couch or to be training in the gym with no not no NBA game speed. Not in a game in, you know, over 300-some-odd days to become a starter. And then the first couple of shots of the game they try to give you so they can get you going, I think he did all right. Like I said, the def- defense is always – like I said, the Melo's never going to be mistaken for, you know, Kawhi Leonard on the defensive end, you know. So that's that's never – you know, Melo's still being Melo with that. Um, I think he's definitely going to get – with this new-age NBA, he might get – more exposed because there's a lot more switching and stuff and he just sometimes looked a little out of the loop but to me it was just more about the timing for him like I said I think if he I give Melo honestly I'll get I'll I wouldn't be surprised if we see Melo with you know maybe three or four games in or even 10 games in he, he hit, a, hit us for a 20 piece you know because if he's going to go four for 14 you get 14 shots your first night out like they're obviously looking for you to get the ball and watch, and none of them, and none of them appeared like to forced. be forced, like out of his comfort zone. Yes, looks. like he was getting 
Carmelo Anthony yeah. shots, and and they um, posted they posted him up. Just they posted the him up quite a few times as well. A couple of times he got some um, offensive fouls, but like again, that's just timing off. Except with the big layoff, you've been in the gym shooting. That's definitely different than actual games. The jitters, the the the, the relief of actually being back out. You know, there's it, so many different things that play into your mind. And I, like I said, I I saw a positive thing in the way the way Portland runs their offense. He's definitely could be a good fit for them because they kind of play that style of. All right, Melo, we'll play. We'll post you up. We'll put you on the elbows. We'll we'll look for ways to get, however you to get you in rhythm faster. You know you're comfortable doing certain things that way. We'll we'll get you. We'll get you plays for that. Now, granted, Damian Lillard wasn't there, so I don't know how that will change when Melo, uh, when Dame when Dame comes back. But while Melo's here, man, I said I wish him the best, man. I hope he hope he can um. Shut as much as he can, but he just looked a little rusty, and you can't blame him. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely don't um, have any surprise in the fact that Melo came back, and he wasn't, you know, sharp, refined Carmelo Anthony that that we've seen in the past. Um, I do know that Melo was signed, and then didn't actually get live game action until the third game from the point of the signing, because I think he got signed. You alerted me that he got signed and they had a game that night or either the immediately the following night. And then they played again after that. And I think that was the mm-hmm. Rockets game where the Rockets beat them. And then this game now. So I'm thinking that the Rockets game was the night before. It was a back-to-back. So it kind of yeah. makes sense that on the back, on the it tail end of a back-to-back and your point guard. Yeah, on the tail end of a back-to-back and your point guard, he's not feeling the best. If he's not feeling well and you got an opportunity, well, not even an opportunity, but it's it's beneficial to his long-term health to sit him. I'm not surprised that Terry Stotts, the type of coach that he is, that he trotted out a, a lineup of players that, you know, obviously would be difficult to prepare for against, you know, the team that they were playing, the Pelicans. Um, the Pelicans still managed to come out on top. Their pace and continuity kind of overwhelmed what Portland was trying to do, which was more or less figure it out on the fly. Mm-hmm. There are rare occasions where situations like that, where a new player gets introduced and, you know, everything goes well. You know, I hope that what what we saw tonight kind of gives people who think that that should always happen kind of like a reality check, because it is really hard to just, like you said, get off your couch, join an NBA team and, you know, be out there putting up numbers. So the fact that he was able to, literally step onto the floor and contribute in any type of positive fashion is a testament to, you know, the quintessential pro and great scorer of all time that Carmelo Anthony is. So again, I commend him for sticking with it, finding his way back onto a team, doing everything to make it clear that, you know, all he wanted was an opportunity and a shot. And I commend the Portland Trailblazers for giving him that shot. You know, there's a lot to be learned, especially with what we have going on with the sports climate in this country right now, about how athletes and and politics and and things along those lines that really don't have as much to do with the actual sport are affecting what these guys are able to do on the floor. And I'm just glad to see that everybody was able to remove the politics from the situation and just do the basic thing that everybody has been asking for, especially the fans, which is to just get that man a shot. So... With that being said, I'm, I'm wishing Carmelo the best of luck with the remainder of the time that he has with the Blazers. Again, if he makes it to January 7th, his contract becomes fully guaranteed and he's subject to receiving 
the remainder of that salary, which is prorated to be something like 890 some odd grand. This is no longer about money for a man like Carmelo Anthony, who's probably generated 245 million plus in contracts alone as, as a professional player. This is to me a hundred percent about him finalizing his, you know, his, his career as a basketball player and going out in a way that he feels comfortable. Now, obviously at the age of 35, he may have plenty of more years of basketball left in him. Vince Carter's retiring at 42. So, mm-hmm. you know, that gives him a seven year window to still have an opportunity to contribute to NBA teams. And I think how things play out for him this year could be a reflection of what we see going forward. And hopefully all of the baggage and pre-existing issues that were, were, affiliated with his name start to fade away and he can, you know, re-engineer some some trust and goodwill with NBA front offices because I think that was a big part of his so-called blackballing was the fact that there were so many people that are in some of these NBA teams that have had prior experience with Melo being a part of their organization and, you know, word travels in the, in the paperwork land the same way it does amongst players. So I'm glad that the veil was lifted and that somebody was able to say, you know what, in spite of what everyone else says, we need you come through and if you if you you know if you fulfill what we're asking you to do then all is well and you know I don't want to bring another sport into this but obviously you know you got a brother like Colin Kaepernick who's going through a situation where he's trying to get himself resituated and and hopefully back into the league Um, I hope he learned some things from what Melo did while he was out which was he made it very publicly known that he was doing everything he could to stay physically fit he was doing that through social media. He was reaching out to media outlets and he was consistent. Like there wasn't really a month where there wasn't a mellow update of some sort, whether it was coming from his camp or from his own social media or just the feedback that reporters were given. Whereas there are other athletes who dealt with the situation and, you know, they go into a cave and that's not the best thing for you. when you're trying to get yourself back into a situation like this. You have to keep yourself on the pulse of, everybody who could possibly, you know, have an opportunity to give you a shot. You have to keep making them aware. Like, make make them make you go away. Don't make it easy by going away on your own. Um, right now, NBA TV is recapping some of the shots that Melo made, and they're looking, and I've never seen this thing where they got percentages up on the screen for the shots that he made. So they said that a, an elbow three that he made is a 37%, I guess, league average shot, and then a mid-range jump is a 41% league mm-hmm. average shot. Yeah, Ooh, Mello, did Melo try to dunk on Jackson Hayes? Yeah, but it didn't work out for him too well. Bro, there was never a chance that uh, – and you know what? God bless you, Melo. You're going to figure that out. That boy Jackson Hayes, oh, man, he's the next Tyson Chandler. Mm-hmm. He, he, his rim running is elite. His spring off the floor is elite. His sense of where the ball is going on a play to, to be available to defend it is, is elite already. And he got a little jumper. So New Orleans got some little, you know, they got some parts, man. They got some mm-hmm. parts. If they're able to string it together in these next couple of years. And B.I., you know, I did want to allude to the fact that B.I. has been playing something different since coming back. He's actually pulling from spot-up threes, which was something he seemed to be allergic to in the early part of his career, which always, like, befuddled me because when he was at Duke, that was his role. Like, he took open threes and made them. And that's mm-hmm. what kind of got him the early look to get into the NBA. It was like, yo, who's this six, eight and a half guy with seven foot wingspan who can shoot set jumpers? And then he gets to the NBA and all of a sudden he's dribbling. I mean, you know, obviously players always are going dis- to display more when they get into the league. But I think he got away from what made people want him to be in the league. 
and that kind of set him back. And now he's starting to realize, you know, let me go ahead and round out this whole skill set package and get back to the things that people people were excited about me being in the league for. And it also helps him because he's going to be off the ball for pretty much the rest of his career. As long as he's in New Orleans, there's not going to be a lot of opportunity for him to do a lot of that willing and dealing and, and experimentation that he did in Los Angeles. But again, back to Carmelo Anthony, who, um, like you said, was four for 14. With how many points total? 10? Uh, yeah, 10 points and four rebounds. Yeah. Okay, 10 points, four rebounds, not a bad return. Obviously, your shot percentage would, would would benefit by going up, but to go two for three on threes when that's really one of the assets that you're going to need to bring to the table, especially in this type of NBA, looks like you're off to a good start. Shooting 66% from three is not a bad way to, to return back to the NBA in spite of what you may have shot in the other areas of, of the court. So, Carmelo yep. Anthony, blessings to you. Keep your head up. Stay positive. Continue working. Um Terry Stotts seems like, uh, I mean, not seems like, Terry Stotts is a good basketball mind. He'll find a way to make, you know, the defensive issues that you bring to that roster a little bit easier for the remainder of everybody else to, 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 to deal with and compensate for because he's compensated for bad defenders already on that Portland team. So I'm pretty sure he'll find a way to, to continue to be creative. And you got Hassan Whiteside on the back line. So, you know, Hassan, get ready to get in foul trouble because Melo getting in foul trouble is not going to be a good look as long as you're combating all these injuries. You're going to need as much gunpowder as possible here in the West. Yeah. Um, so, who knows? But going from, going from one 6'8 guy who's prolific to another 6'8 guy who's now prolific, let's talk about Luka Doncic. In, in your mind, do, do you see – with the current pace he's on, him being an MVP caliber candidate? Oh, yeah, big I, big time. I, I mean, you got Dallas being uh, uh, definitely I – mean, as, of, as of right now, the, the, the Mavericks are the fifth seed. Um, you know, granted, it's still early. And you're talking about 13 games, 14 games into this. With, with the fact that he's playing as good as he is, and the fact that he's putting up these triple doubles, it, it, it says a whole lot. I mean, he's only twenty. But what? Not for nothing, but hasn't the hasn't the the luster of the triple double kind of kind of lessened now? Is it really all that impressive nowadays for a guy to get a triple double? Do you still have that same wow factor when a guy goes out and gives you you know double digit points, assisted rebounds in this era of positioning? positionless basketball is it really that much of a reach to say that a guy did something special i think i he... think when it comes to him because when you watch his games i think you can make comparisons to russell westbrook and a lot of people felt like russell westbrook was uh stealing rebounds from his own teammates or passing a ball but it's just like okay you didn't have to pass you could have took your own shot but he's like he's passing the ball out of simple. Oh, so he was he was forcing he was forcing stats. He was creating. Mm. Yeah, there was that, especially the the infamous triple double season, and there were there were even YouTube clips pointing out opportunities where it was clear that from how the footage looked that you know teammates were literally not chasing rebounds when they all knew the trajectory and pretty much pushing it into the hands of Russell Westbrook to get some of those stats. I saw that. And, you know, in basketball, not to be like, you know, um, not to be playing the devil's advocate, but we've all done it. 
we've all done it as basketball players, whether it was on a CYO level, whether it was in college basketball. When, when you have a teammate and you want to see them win and you care enough about their happiness and what it'll bring to the locker room to have that person feeling good about themselves, you make that sacrifice. So to me, I never really saw it as like forcible stat pattern. I just saw it more as well as the team is unified in what they want this brother to do. Mm. So, yeah, you know, you, you can play both sides of the equation and say, yeah, in, in, in a game where everybody's literally trying to, quote, unquote, do the right thing, a lot of those triple doubles don't happen. That's fine if you want to believe that. But, I mean, we weren't there to see the Oscar Robinson footage. I'm pretty sure they were aware he was averaging a triple double. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so who are we to really judge the, 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 the legitimacy of a triple-double? There's so many great players who are, who are doing it now. LeBron James has over like 145 in his career, something crazy like that. Um, James Harden was a borderline almost going to average a triple-double one season. Then his rebounding kind of like went underneath. But, you know, he was high on the assists and he always is there in points. Um, Russell Westbrook is borderline about, about to start averaging triple-doubles all over again now in Houston. But as far as Luka Doncic is considered and his, his MVP candidacy, I would say as of right now, it's legitimate. But I do think the fact that Dallas is only in the top five of records and not one of the top two or three teams in the conference, I think that does kind of lessen the luster that you could really assign to it. Because, you know, MVPs outside of Russell's season where, what, the, the Thunder were eighth seed, and if you mathematically removed Russell's contributions from that team, they were something like a 50-loss team projection. I think, I think that's kind of impactful. I think I'll have to look at some advanced numbers to see where Luka or minus Luka really puts the Mavericks to really have a real quantified and educated perspective. But from, from an eye test, yeah, he's definitely one of the most valuable players in the league. The things that he does to keep that team alive are pretty much essential to their survival. Like, he's not out there fishing for points that he doesn't need. He's not out there forcing assists that don't need to happen. Like, every part of what he's doing on the basketball floor seems like it's a necessary element to the, to the Mavericks' success. So I take no credit away from him, especially considering that Kristaps still hasn't shown that level of comfort that he needs to have for them to really, you know, get to chugging along and just be on autopilot. Because usually around the middle portion of the season, when you get to games like 25 through 50, like everybody knows who they are. And now it's just a matter of going out and executing, especially if you're all healthy. Mm-hmm. So I think so, as we build towards that 20-point game in the season or, the, or game 20 in the season, hopefully Chris Stapps is able to round into form. And if Luca continues on the trajectory that he is, I definitely see him as a viable MVP candidate. If, of course, obviously the advanced stats don't point to him making a contribution that's so essential that you can't function without him, maybe that takes away some of the luster. But considering who he's up against, I think it's just going to be an accomplishment to even get votes. Because you got LeBron James coming back in a revenge season of all seasons. You got Giannis who's defending his MVP title. You got James Harden, who is making a clear reminder to everybody of who he is in this league. And mm-hmm. he, he's stacked up against some guys who are household names. He's becoming one. And typically, it takes, you know, repeat performances for people to finally click that switch and start voting for you. So I think if Luca's able to sustain what he does, he will get MVP votes. But I would be 
absolutely blown to see a second year player who's not from the United States become the league MVP that quickly. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that he's only what twenty years old now and they mm-hmm. they were trying to boo him a little bit and the fact that he uh was um just what the Euro the Euro League's MVP, you know? At nine at, at, at sixteen or something crazy like that. Yeah, something crazy. So like I said, he He's been putting that work in. He's been letting his actions speak for himself. His step back jump. You don't think his actions are speaking for himself? I mean, no, I think he's speaking for himself quite well. His body language and a lot of the BS that he does after he has a successful play. I mean, it's a reflection of this current generation. Steven Adams, you just walked your whole mind off. Thank God for calling out. Sorry, the Lakers in Oklahoma City are playing. But back to what I was saying, Luca's an expressive kid. He understands. He may not necessarily speak a lot of great English, but his body speaks a lot of great English. You know, there's a lot of things that he does that, like, you know, he he brings a lot of attention to himself, state stuff after he has a good play. So his numbers do speak for themselves, but he's also speaking for himself, too. Like, he's making it known I'm here. So, you know, I'm not. He's not he's not a bashful European who came out of nowhere. I don't even want that narrative to even run from us because I'm not with it. I don't stand behind that at all. Like I can show you tons of plays of Luca rubbing it in on people and all that other type of stuff that, you know, Steph Curry and those boys and they, they kind of like brought that era in. Like we're in the attitude era of the NBA. You know what I'm saying? Like nowadays a guy gets dunked on and the guy who dunks on you, he gets to hang on the rim for an extra second. Montrez Harrell is like the poster boy for excessive rim hanging. Um, <laughs> LeBron James LeBron James catches a helmet. He stares down the guy from the point that he dunked on him until literally he crosses half court. So you're not even running in the direction of looking to play defense because you're so busy trying to create a viral moment. Um, and there are plenty of other players who engage in this type of behavior, which obviously when we were kids was not allowed. It was not allowed. Like, you show up somebody, you're on the injury report. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like, yep, he about to get himself hurt. We used to watch Michael Jordan try to gloat, and then the Detroit Pistons would put him in that, you know, that, that, that killer cross face and have him sitting on the bench for a while trying to, wow, where's the icy hot? They got me again. So, you know, not to say that I'm wishing for that to come back, all the rough stuff and all the goonery, but I do think that, like, players' expressions – after significant plays is starting to get a little carried away. And I hope that the NBA is able to figure out a, a happy medium because you do want to see guys out there celebrating an expression, but I do think some of them get carried away. And I think Luca's a part of it too. So that, that was what my side angle is, but yeah, Luca is definitely putting the, the money where his mouth is as far as performance. Can't take nothing away from that kid. Nothing at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I think he's doing a f- phenomenal. Uh, for the Dallas Mavericks, and he's helping build up the confidence for a lot of these other guys to take to take. Like you said, we talked about the Dallas Mavericks before, because we talked about them with KP. I really believe that he. Um, I really believe he's trying to. Like I said, I don't know if he can. Um, I can. Uh, what you call? I don't. I don't know when he actually is going to. Uh, being the MVP for the whole entire season because he, but I mean, he's got that green light. His light, that light is super green. So, um, yeah, his light is a level. He'll have enough. 
Yeah, it's it's on the level of Steph Curry green. I mean, you know, where hey, go ahead and take the next five shots in a row. Don't worry, we'll give the Please. ball to you six times. So you can shoot. It. Yeah, make it happen. Please take the ball and shoot it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he so took a said. step back from thirty-four feet in a close game. Yeah, and nobody on that Mavericks team groaned, made a face. Buzzer went off. He missed the shot. Everybody was like, that's the shot you had, bro. That's an ultimate concession of who fits where. Pecking order is not an issue when it comes to the Dallas Mavericks. Everybody knows Luka eats and he serves plates. So let's just let him be happy. And if we're winning, then all is well. And that's usually the mantra of a team that's able to be successful. You do kind of abide by the temperature of your star players and you allow them to get the lion's share of the work done because at the end, you still get to celebrate the glory even if you're not a significant con- contributor to that team. So guys fall in line, and it looks like everybody in, in Dallas fell in line literally after his rookie season. I don't see anybody on that roster left that, you know, could even contest to any of the stuff that Luka does. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe as they start to progress and become more competitive, like, you know, start to rise towards the top of the pecking order of the conference, they acquire a player. Because, you know, that usually happens. You get that third guy who's been through battle-tested or whatever who can, you know, maybe dish a little humble pie to Luca and Chris Stapps to keep them grounded. Because, again, you're not valid until you actually have hardware. So if you bring a guy in who's got hardware and he's still capable of giving you, you know, a good amount of points a night, he tends to have a voice that everybody listens to. And that might be the final piece and what they have going there. But obviously they're not ready for that yet. Like, you know, everything they're doing this year, honestly, is what, what, what do they call it? You're playing with house money. They're playing yeah. with house money this oh, year. Oh, yeah, yeah. Easily, easily, easily. Easily. Because if, if Mark Cuban walked uh, if Mark Cuban walked the coach into there, Rick Carlisle, and told him, hey, man, playoffs are bust before this season, then Mark Cuban probably needs to be tested for heroin or any other hallucinogenic inducing, inducing drugs that are out there on the market nowadays, you know? <laughs> okay, I see. But I, I mean, think... I mean, we do got uh, we do got an NBA owner who's clearly on dope. His name's Jim Dolan. Because he's under the impression that, you know, he was coming to watch a playoff team. Playoffs? Mm. You said playoffs? Well, maybe, maybe he was going to watch a playoff team, but it just wasn't the Knicks. Maybe it was the opponent. That's the only team that he notices playing basketball. When he goes to watch a Nick game, he goes and he says, those other guys. He doesn't know that there's another franchise other in, in the NBA besides the Knicks. In his mind, it's the New York Knicks versus the Washington Generals every game. That's his mentality. That's well, what he's shown us. Well, the sad part about it, the Generals have been winning a lot more games than the Knicks. The sad part <laughs> about it is that the New York Knicks are the Washington Generals. But we'll deal with that. At another time. Yo, you ain't even got a hate on Golly, man. Look at you, man. Always trying to figure out how to get your little... Yo, I swear. I swear, man. I swear. J- Jared, you can't front, though. Yo, That'd be funny, bro. Jared, Jared Jeffries must have took your girl back in a day or something, big. Jared Jeffries? You named... 
You named the Nick with the stuttering problem? Wow. Oh, man. I'm just you forgot about that, huh? You forgot he had a speech impediment, huh? Nah. Mm. I didn't like uh, it. Shout out to Jared yeah. Jeffries. He went to the, you know, he went to Indiana. He was a good player, good kid. Never really had a position in the NBA. They let him play five different ones for the Knicks. And um, he played hard at every single one that they tried him at. I mean, I believe there was a game where he was the starting point guard, power forward, center, shooting guard. And he was the the, the first three guys off the bench for the Knicks. So <laughs> shout out to you wherever you at, Jared Jeffries. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I cheered for you in college. And then you played for the Knicks. And it reminded me that you can't shoot. Yo, he didn't even start with the Knicks, man. Let me get there. He got traded. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. So nah, I'm straight. Players don't get traded to the Knicks; they get sentenced to the Knicks. Let's make sure mm. clarify that for the people. Wow. Out there. All right, so let me stop railing on the boys. Um, Luka Doncic is a good segue into the other conversation that I wanted to have: new era handles versus the old guard handles. Who's a better? How do you put that in context in your mind when when you think about that 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 whole sentence? What what comes to mind when you think about? New era handles in this era of basketball. You say, who do I? Who do not who, but what? But but what thoughts come to your mind? Like this era of basketball we're watching is not the era of basketball we grew up in. Like, yeah, so much more. I totally get that. There's so much more freedom of movement. The ability to pull Mm -hmm. up dribble moves is kind of you know it's different. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Um, What do I see that's different? I see the. I see a lot of damn. What do I really see? That's a damn. That's a good way to. I gotta be thinking for a second. Um, I see a lot of east and west dribbling or dribbling in one spot, trying to hurry up and shake the defender. Similar to what James Harden does. He doesn't really go north and south with his dribbling. Um, and I also see a lot of the players where they're using their body more to shift. Like you know, you see a lot of players using the euro step trying to make that into like a regular routine move um, and trying, mm-hmm. trying to use that as, you know, as the dribbling aspect. Um, um, Cause I'm watching the games now, except old school style. It was a lot more, you know, I'm going to hurry up and try to break you down by going North and South. Like I said, the players weren't trying to go East and West. They were trying to get to their position and get to the basket as quick as possible using their handles. And like I said, a couple in and out crossovers and stuff like that. Uh, you would try to get that done fast. But now it's just like guys are kind of doing a lot of the side step, the herky jerky, but to the side and not really going north and south as much as back in the day. That's what I I think I noticed the most. Um, can I can I can I segue that or rephrase what because because I think we're on the same page. I just think the way you're explaining it and the way that I see it, I might just be speaking a little bit more technical. I see the old school era of NBA ball handlers. They tried to move their defender out of the way to get that pass. I see these new guys. They're trying to move that defender to create an alleyway or a place for them to be able to get to, to get their shot. And I think it's just a whole totally different mentality. And I think it definitely has something to do with how these younger players that are now in the NBA have been coached because, you know, what did we have growing up? What the seven drill? You got seven dribbles and then you had to take a shot, mm-hmm. or you know. So oh. it was kind of it was kind of like there was a combination of all right, I got to try and make my defender feel as comfortable as I can in seven dribbles, but I also have to get myself to a spot where I could take and make a makeable shot. Well, also like you said, there's a couple 
to have like a like kind of like three dribbles or less, you know. Mm-hmm. So that way you hardly get your move. Where now it seems like guys are hey, take as many dribbles as you want to get the same to get to get that move. But what you're doing is you're creating a shot, or you're creating you're not really you're you're creating a um, angle space. Like, yeah, it's definitely angle and a space, but you're not trying to get immediately to the basket. You're trying to create that to create a floater. So, you know, you're using, you know, your handles in a tif- different way or the size to get a jump shot, you know, where now, like I said, immediately you would get the ball, jab, step, make a move. Now they're doing one, two jabs, three, four jabs, three, four dribbles, side step to a shot or a hezzy and then go to the basket and hit a floater. Whereas sometimes it's breaking the defender down. Sometimes it's not. But back in the day, it just seems like there was the moves, the moves are a little, I was, they were a little more compact, you know, a little more compact. And um, yeah, let's allude to some of the, some of the, the, the ball greater, handlers, the greater dribble moves. So you had things like the killer crossover and UTEP two step that, um, that Tim Hardaway brought to the game. If you fell for the UTEP two-step or the, 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 the killer crossover, like you were saying, the, the guy doing it, he was attacking you going north and south, but his dribble was going east to west. So it would compel you, your legs, your body to do what? Go east or west. Mm-hmm. And the problem is if you went west while he was going east, now you guys are on two opposite sides of the frame and you've moved completely out of his path and he can literally just keep going straight and go right to the rim. And now you've got these guys that, like you said, all they're doing is making sure that they're taking advantage of whatever problem you're diagnosed with your feet work. Because I've spoken to and worked with a few kids that are, you know, trying to make their way as basketball players, and that's what they tell me their coach to do. Be mindful of your defender's feet and do what you can to make his feet work against him. And then use his feet working against him to get to your spot, or like you said, get to your shot set. So a lot of these players, I think, with the new era of basketball, they've been trained to worry more about getting to their shot and getting it uncontested than what we were trained to do was get that dude out of your way and finish. So I think that mentality has definitely changed the way basketball is being played. But the whole reason why I made this a topic tonight is because last night I watched the top crossovers of week four and there were three crossovers and 38 Euro steps. Mm. So it's almost like the NBA understands, hey, great ball handlers no longer make defenders disappear. They just make themselves get to an easy shot. And I think that perception is, is, is unique. It's new. It's new. Because I never considered when a guy pulled off a Euro step that he broke his man. Do you? Um, every now and then, it depends if, if, when, when that happened, if it, if the player fell off the picture, yeah, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, listen, if, if there's an explosion that goes off and somebody's, there's a body on the ground, that's undeniable. I'm not taking away from any of those guys, but I'm talking about the guys who do the Euro step in traffic, the defender's still on them, but because the Euro step gives them an angle to release the shot that the defender can't contest, I don't consider that, you know, like a shake. I just mm-hmm. consider that you having a better move than your defender. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I follow. And I think the Euro, and I think the Euro step has kind of like changed the perception of what a defender being broken down is, and it could wind up being detrimental because the Euro step by design is meant to create a move that's unblockable. It's almost like the new era jump hook or sky hook, if you will. You know, mm-hmm. if you if you get that shot off at the optimal body position, then nobody in the NBA is going to be able to do anything about it. The only way you get a Euro step defended is by a help defender because the nature of the move is to go immediately the opposite side of the body of your defender at his most vulnerable point and get the shot off. I don't really consider that you faking him. I just consider it you making a smart, educated move. It's like the Michael Jordan fadeaway. If I bump you with my butt three times and you fall back on the third bump, I know to rotate to the opposite side and fade away. You can't block that shot. Your human body will not cooperate and allow you to recover at any type of angle that's going to make that shot blockable. That's what Dirk did. Mm-hmm. So, um, but these new era ball handlers that I'm definitely interested in, and I do feel like they do bring a little bit of both so, elements to so, the game. Okay, can, so give the, give the listeners an example of a new era ball handler versus an old guard, a old versus the old guard who you feel have. I, I, uh, I think Luka, your... I think I think Luka Doncic is a great example of somebody that people really think is out there cracking eggs, but he's really just smart. So he's not actually losing defenders with moves. He loses defenders in the game. Don't get it twisted. There's about 75 different Luka Doncic highlights where he gets the rebound and he puts the ball behind the defender's head. They turn around and they look like a freaking idiot. And then he passes it to somebody and they get a layup or he shoots it. He's definitely capable of faking his defender, but his dribble moves, they're not really about getting the defender out of the way. More so they're about getting the defender out of position so that he can take advantage of that position and get off a shot. Another guy who's doing it, but he's way beyond what Luca does as far as ball handling goes, is John Moran. Watch him. He has a highlight that he recently did where he went behind the back. The defender is still in front of him, and he takes off off the wrong foot and lays up a floating layup that literally he's four feet from the rim when he does it on the right-hand side, and it scoops all the way up, hits the backboard, and lays in. That defender is not out of the picture. He's literally right there in front of him. But because of the way Ja got into that move and then released it, it's so unconventional that the defender wasn't prepared to defend it. And there are a lot of guys who came with Darius Garland. Doesn't he, isn't it him who has that highlight where he just broke somebody twice? He broke somebody twice. Like he did the, the Allen Iverson versus, uh, versus uh, oh man, Antonio Daniels. He recreated that move. Where you you know you know what I'm talking about? Allen Iverson's wearing all white. He got the headband mm-hmm. on. Antonio oh, yeah. Davis. He made him have his seat twice in the same play. Correct. Darius Garland just pulled that off recently, and it's on the highlight yes. reel. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He did he did that against Philly, right? And I think it was the, the guy who was like third or fourth in the league in steals, Matisse Dial, whatever his name is. That guy, mm-hmm. yeah, he cracked he cracked his egg twice. Legit yeah, cracked his eggs, like you know, yeah. broke his ankles. Um. Who else in the new era of ball handling? Um, Devin Booker got some shiftiness to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but guys who remind me of the old guard that are relevant now and are, and are big names, Kimba Walker. He decimates his defenders. He's, he uses both, but he primarily is cracking your egg. Your egg is getting cracked if you try to stand in front of him repeatedly. Eventually, some joint that is valuable to your legs is going to give way if you keep trying to hard defend Kimba Walker. Um, 
from hmm. the new era that that's ball handling. Um, I don't really think Dame Lillard really breaks people off the dribble. More so, mm-hmm. he takes advantage of angles and gets by them and around them because he's fast. Mm-hmm. But he's not really a de- deceptive ball handler. I think CJ McCollum is cracking eggs. Because mm-hmm. CJ McCollum got some highlights where I literally wanted to send flowers to the guy who was defending him for what I witnessed CJ McCollum do to these boys. There's one where there's one from last year where the um, announcer goes and he horn swoggled, bruh. I cry every time that highlight come on. Like I literally have to mute the TV just to watch it because it's just so funny how bad the combination of what happens on screen with how the announcer called it. He cracks eggs. Um, Russell cracks eggs. James Harden, even though he does seventy five thousand dribbles, he cracks eggs. Kyrie Irving, he's cracking eggs. Um, but new guys, new guys, new guys. How how many new era dribblers are there really out there that's prominent? Honestly, mm-hmm. everybody else that's pretty much you know running the point right now in the NBA is vested. You know, like you're talking about three, four, five year pros at a minimum for most of these guys are starting. Well, you got so, Trey, you got Trey Young. Oh, Trey Young's out there cracking eggs. He's out there making fools of people. He's borderline a, a circus act by himself. He's got the nutmeg into a pull up jump shot down pat. Mm. And, it, it, and it's painful because I really do feel sorry for some of these guys. There's one that, that's running on the highlight reels now where he's at the top of the key on the right-hand side, just above the break, and he nutmegs the guy, runs to the ball, and he's now on the right baseline shooting a fadeaway jumper. And that defender had no opportunity whatsoever to realize. By the time he realized what was going on, he was getting back on defense. Mm. And then he's got the move where he'll get – He'll get semi-trapped on the pick and roll. If he's on the right-hand side, you better watch out because now he's going to throw the ball behind his back and between his legs. Everybody's going to turn the opposite way, and he's going to lay you. Trey's got some trickery and foolery to his game. And because he's so little, he has to crack A's. I think the little, the smaller you are, the more likely it is you have to make that defender get out of your way to get off a shot that's going to be easier made. I think because now more bigger guys are dribbling, that's where we're seeing a lot of the herky-jerky, unconventional, get-to-my-euro type of stuff where defenders are, are, are getting cooked, but they're not really getting lost. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's the difference between the new era handle versus the, versus the old era handle. The old era guys, they were cracking eggs. These new era guys, they're just basically taking advantage. And I think, I think, I think it's um, interesting to watch because they're going to be clashes soon at some point with all these different, you know, age gaps and, and so on and so forth as players come up and decline. You know, like Chris Paul is, you know, he's teetering on his way down. And Steph Curry kind of helped initiate the, the so-called perceived decline of him when he played for the Clippers and, and Steph Curry made him touch the floor. Mm. You remember that play? Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 on the baseline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Steph Curry does a little bit of both. He cracks eggs, but he also takes advantage of defenders playing him wrong to get the angles so that he can get those floaters off and get those pull-up jumpers. So I think he's a good representation of the bridge between the two gaps, but I definitely see that a lot of the newer guys are working on more or less being more angular, whereas, like you said, the older guys, they were more north-south. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I completely what else? What what else do we have on the agenda? I think we're down to issue number four now. Yeah, uh, Houston. Houston doesn't seem like they're having much of a problem. Like I said, they have. Uh, they're what are this, they? Eleven and three. That's that is correct. They are eleven and 
But yeah, they are eleven and three currently, half a game out from the first place. Uh, they won eight straight games, so they're heating up. Uh, we got Russell Westbrook and George George um James not George <laughs> James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Um, they've been coming together and they've been playing. And I, I notice sometimes what they've been doing is they've been riding the hot person. They're still letting James get his, you know. 20, 20 shots or 15-plus shots a game, but they seem to be letting James just continue to heat up. And I, I honestly, the, the keys to the city belong to one James Harden, and I don't think that should change with the addition of Russell Westbrook. Um, the first thing I noticed, and a lot of the analytics guys and, and um, analysts are speaking about it now, Houston didn't run prior to this year. Now they're number one or two in pace. They went from bottom of the league in pace, even though they were scoring 100 points per game. The pace at which they were doing it was a lot different than how they're generating points now. And that just goes to show what the impact of having a Russell Westbrook on your roster is because he creates transition when there is none. He creates, um, I forgot what the word is before fast break, but like an off break, whatever they call it, where, you know, out of nowhere – everybody's there, but because of the speed of the ball handler, now you have a five on four or you have a three on two mm-hmm. from a broken play when it would just typically be, you know, somebody would dribble it across half court, wait for everybody to get there and then set up the offense. Russell, Russell is pushing the issue and he's creating a lot of easier opportunities because Russell Westbrook statistically in the NBA for like the past five years, he's one of the highest rated players when it comes to shot generation. So I'm not at all surprised that him Mm -hmm. coming along to that team has changed the way they perceive the speed at which they need to play. But I am surprised that it did lead or it has been leading to them having one of the top records in, in in the Western conference. Like, like it really is something to behold because statistically speaking, Russell Westbrook still can't shoot. Mm -hmm. He's not shooting well from, from the perimeter in any regard when it comes to what he's doing on the court. But the combination of him being on the roster along with what James Harden is doing right now, which is leading the league in scoring at, what, over 35 a game? What is he, at 37 a game, something outrageous like that? Mm. It, it's, it's been hard for any team so far to really be able to offset. I mean, their early losses were early losses. They just won eight in a row. So prior to going eight in a row, that makes them three and three. Yeah, they exactly. They um. So even when they were struggling, they were only five hundred. So. Yeah, and you got to think about it. they lost to the Bucks opening night, and then they lost to um the Nets, and then they lost to Miami, and after that they were they were just ripping and running. And they lost to they lost to uh, the Nets in a close game. Am I right? Like well, that was one of those games they that lost went... by six. But yeah, that's the thing. Sometimes games might say the final statistics might say one thing, but you know between emotions and referees making changes or rechecking the time. So, like I said, he's just been um waiting for that to happen. Yeah, and he and speaking of speaking of new era versus old era handles, that that's the game where he cracked Kyrie open. Like Kyrie's egg was was fully cooked, and it led to an alley oop pass that I think Capella dunked. Boy, Harden smoked that man on that crossover. But I mean, Harden's Harden Harden's crossover body language is probably the most tempting thing in the world to to have to sit there and witness as a defender. Like mm. he just compels you with the bit bat bit bat bit bat bit bat bit. 
Mm-hmm. And you're done. Yep. You're done. I mean, if anybody is, is able to stand in front of you as a defender and just repeatedly go between their legs four or five times in a row, the moment that they make an exaggerated body movement, even if it's just a hezzy, and that defender doesn't react, that defender is probably – I mean, I watched him sm- – he smoked Kawhi. He was serving up smoke Kawhi Leonard when they played the Clippers. You know, Kawhi Leonard, Mr. Defensive Player of the Year multiple times. You put him on the team's best perimeter scorer and all those other catchphrases that they like to use when they say, you know, he's an elite defender. And mm. James Harden had him out there. He was rocking that baby to sleep. <clears throat> so, yeah, Harden is, is in a level of ball handling and one-on-one defense that very few players in the NBA history are ever going to get to. You know, yeah, Jordan... That- Jordan, for all his scoring prowess, he was never somebody that you was worried about was going to smoke you off the dribble. He was just worried that he was going to beat you to a spot, and then there's nothing you can do after that. Very true. Very true. It's um, it's going to be interesting to see because a player like James Harden that takes so many shots per game, uh, the fact, yes, they're creating those extra offensive possessions, but I'm starting to wonder if guys are just going to be too comfortable sitting in the corner and waiting for him to eventually maybe pass it, maybe not. But then on a defensive end, I'm going to go give my all. And like I said, it's not really that much going on because his – golly, I'm looking at I'm, – I'm just looking at the stats. You got Westbrook averaging um, – Westbrook's averaging 21.5 points, eight rebounds, seven assists. And you got James Harden averaging 39 points six rebounds and almost eight assists. And I'm like, 39? Yeah, averaging 39. You got to remember, James Harden for the last few games has been hitting 40. 39? Yo, that's crazy. That's what I'm saying. If he winds up... If he averaged 40 for the season, that's going to be crazy. Let me say this, because um, on Facebook in one of my groups, uh, somebody randomly posted... James Harden is the greatest scorer of all time. We smoked that man's boots. I mean, when I tell you we got the roasting and cooking him, I've never been a fan of the all-time argument, especially when you're referencing an, an active player. Yeah. I think that's just a little ridiculous. But if James Harden averages 40 points per game for the season, something which I don't think has been done since Wilt Chamberlain, yeah. if Wilt even did it, that's I have to apologize. How do you not consider a man with the trajectory of scoring that he's put in place since coming to Houston, leading up to a 40-point-per-game season? Remember, we, sell it, we celebrated what? When Iverson did it five times in a row? We celebrated when Kobe did it five times in a row? Mm-hmm. You averaging that dog? Averaging 40 that, points Yeah, a game? You, you, you just you saw something special going on because I'm looking at the last... Okay, let's say this. Three out of the last four games, right? And they're all wins. This is this is all wins. Yeah, because they won eight straight. So yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, three out of the last four games, he's averaged over 45 points a game. In one game, he actually was 50 percent. So he played Indiana on the 15th of November. He was fit, he was thirteen for twenty six shooting, so that's fifty percent. He had forty four <laughs> points, yo. And then the one game he had forty nine, 
Now, granted, he took 41 shots, so, you know, he was almost, you know, it wasn't that great. But to have that type of, those type of um, points, you're, you're putting too much pressure on the defense. And the thing about it is James Harden is going to break you down in one spot. He's not moving from that one spot until it's time to shoot, and then he's shooting a step-away jump shot. So, oof. If he could do that and then – um. Westbrook just go ahead and get his scrap points so he can get his little whatever. You know what I force mean? The temp, force the tempo when the defense is unprepared, 6 to 12 points a game that he gets. And then yeah. the other four or five come from the free throw line. And then he's going to give you a, a token three because he's now taking four a game. And most of them are uncontested in Houston. So he's going to make, because he's a career 25% three-point shooter, mm. or 29, he, he's going to make one of those four. So, yeah, what Russell Westbrook's points can be charged pretty easily. It, he's not a mystery as to how he fills up the box score because he's going to go and take about six or seven bad layups and the refs are going to bail him out of three of them because he's got some of the worst layup body language that I've ever seen in human history. The only person who had worse body layup language, than, I mean, worse layup body language than him suffered for it. His name is Derrick Rose. The way that these guys land because they're so explosive and take off and it's so counterproductive to your knees and joints it leads to some of the wear and tear you have russell westbrook is a professor at this man he takes off for his layups and his body is never aligned correctly to the rim you never know like it looks like he's about to hurt himself so many times on his basket drive just the ferocity that he's taking off in. and obviously you can't harness some something like that but i do worry tremendously because again he's starting to age and as you start to age if you haven't start to make adjustments on, on what your body does or what it can and can't do or won't be able to do, then you wind up aging yourself out of the league prematurely. Back to James Harden. This man, this man, James Harden, at age 20, averaged 9.9 points per game. Mm. This is his age 30 season. And he might average 40. That historically has to be one of the most ridiculous jumps in a 10-season span. You have literally quadrupled your points per game output over your 10-year career. Mm-hmm. His career averages, age 20, 9 per game. Basically 10, 21, 12 per game, 22. 17 per game. First year in Houston, 26. Second year in Houston, 25.4. Third year, 27.4. Next year, 26 season, age 26, 29 a game. 27, 29 a game. 28, 30, 29. Oh, God damn. 36. (laughs) (laughs) Got to tell you. And now at age 30, Somebody, and this is the thing that I love about James Harden, he's very, he's very educated and aware of his stature in the game. And probably some of that comes from playing with or for Daryl Morey, who's mm-hmm. just one of those guys who's constantly aware of analytics, trends, and stats. So I'm pretty sure they're going to be telling him by, like, game 65, yo, James, you got to average 44 for, like, four games to comfortably average 40 for the season. And they're going to let him do it. They're going to let him do it because Daryl Morey is at the forefront of James Harden being the best scorer of all time argument. That's him. He's better than Michael Jordan. Scoring. That's James Harden. 
as we said. So, again, um, I'm really concerned because I think Houston, with what they're doing, is sustainable because James Harden, time in and time out, statistically has proven that over the regular season, he can lead a team to a good record. But, again, we get to the playoffs where things slow down. And like you said, those guys who were used to sitting in the corner for 80 games, now all of a sudden they're going to have the ball in their hands off of a double team or a trap, and they're going to need to score. Will they be comfortable? It's, it's, it's something that's going to always have to play out until Houston proves us wrong. So I do think that at this 11-3 and three pace, because what? Let me get a calculator for this, because this is my favorite part of the whole situation when I get to do this. So you take 82 games and divide it by, let's say, 15. That's a loop of five times. They're currently on a 60-win pace. Because they'll repeat this loop five more times. So you take 11 times five, that gives you 66 wins. Well, 11 times five only gives you 55, I'm sorry. But it's 5.4, so they'll get a bonus win every time it loops. So they'll get to 60 wins if they keep this pace up. Um, 60-win season in the West? Where does that put them? Probably number one, two, or three? Mm -hmm. On a crash course to face one of the L.A. teams in the Western Conference semifinals? And then possibly the other in the Western Conference Finals. I think the way the NBA is playing out right now, everybody's got, you know, finish line Western Conference Finals, LA, LA. Mm-hmm. The Clippers That's- can't beat the Rockets, and the Rockets can't beat the Lakers. Mm. So if the NBA plays out the way it does, and OKC, I mean, not OKC, but Houston winds up getting the Clippers first then we don't get to see L.A. versus L.A. Mm-hmm. If it goes vice versa, if the Clippers, I mean, the Rockets wind up playing the Lakers first, then we probably have a chance at an all-L.A. Western Conference Finals. But based off what I've seen, based off of my intuition as a human being and a basketball player and what I read off of body language, Clippers can't do nothing with Houston, not for seven games. Yeah, that's going to be very, very challenging. Because you can put Paul George out there on James Harden because now he's back there and he's healthy. Paul George has been getting cookies served to him from James Harden since they've both been in the league. I don't think that's going to change. And I think Kawhi learned the hard way when they played the clip. I mean, when they played Houston, what he would have to deal with if he really thinks that he's going to be that, oh, I'll just guard you in the fourth quarter and shut everything down. Nah, bro. Ain't no team that's been kicking James Harden out of the playoffs been doing it with one-on-one defense. It's been a combination of things. It's been fatigue, it's been schemes, and bad nights. Mm. But if you go mano-a-mano with James Harden in a playoff series for seven games thinking that one guy's going to be – nah. And I don't think the Clippers have. With all those different defenders and all that defensive clout that they've been given early on in the season, I don't see anybody on that team that can contend with what James Harden and the havoc that he's going to be able to generate on that Clippers roster. Whereas if they go against the Lakers because of the amount of front line activity that they have, I think they can take away his paint activity and him getting to the free throw line and make him a jump shooter. I don't think that the Clippers can do that. Yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be the challenge. Like I said, that's that's why they play because these matchups can change. I mean, you gotta think. They do, okay, well let me ask up. you. Do you think the Clippers can beat Houston in the seven game series? Uh, I, I'd have to, I gotta wait to see what the roster looks like 
But I mean, the full right, Clippers. The, yeah, the, the full. Clippers. I gotta see the full Clippers. I gotta see that because that's the that's the elephant in the room for the Clippers. You don't get if you don't get the full Clippers, then there's a chance there's a there's the chance of you winning a championship decreases by a str- a great deal. Yeah, they you know, definitely don't go to the finals if they don't have that whole complement of players that they've assembled out there on the team. The way the NBA is looking with with the top heavy teams in the conference, like Denver's waking up. I guess Jokic is losing like five pounds a week. So when he gets back to his original birth weight, then you know, we'll get to see <laughs> we'll get to see we'll get to see how how formidable they truly can be. But even with him playing his way back into shape, they've been quietly starting to rack up wins. So I think they'll find the third, fourth, fifth Western slot. And as they work themselves there where they essentially belong because they were the number two seed in the West last year, uh, I, I think that, you know, those remaining three teams, like the, the, the upper class of the West is set. I don't think with all that we saw from Utah and the way that they've been playing, obviously Utah has been good recently in, in, in recent years of going in a late season surge to like raise their stock. But I think with who they're up against this year in the West, I don't think that they'll be able to. The most they could do is pull a Portland. Because, you know, Portland was kind of like lingering all last season, and then we woke up come playoff time, and they were the number three seed. Is that the way it mm. played out to you? Yeah, pretty much. So I can see, you know, Denver doing that, but I can't see Denver and Utah doing it. I don't think Utah's going to be a top four team in the West. I don't. I think they'll be a really tough team. I think they'll be a nuisance. I think they'll be hard to get rid of. But I think that top four team is pretty much L.A., L.A., Houston, Denver. Hmm. Well, the, way, the way it's pretty much set up now. Mm-hmm. I think barring injuries, those teams will pretty much hold position. Obviously, the records may fluctuate. A couple teams may go on a couple losing dips. But I don't think either of any of those four will lose enough to give any of the teams beneath them any type of room. Because remember, a lot of those teams in those lower rungs of the West right now, they're first-year occupants. Like, Minnesota don't know what to do with themselves right now. They don't know what to do with themselves. Mm, yeah, like they, they, play with, they play with house money. True. Phoenix, playing with house money. Mm-hmm. Um, Dallas, house money. You got three teams playing with house money that had you know, little to no expectation of being where they are now, and now they've got a whole court. And now they got to fight off the San Antonios who don't want this to be the year that they don't make the playoff. And, and, and you know, um, Portland, who's going to be kicking and screaming to not have to deal with the possibility of blowing up their roster because they had finals aspirations at the beginning of the season. Wow. Different, the difference a year makes. True. The difference three months make. CJ McCollum was lit up on his podcast, like, oh, yeah, y'all think we did something this season? Wait till next year. Okay, we waited. We waited. Y'all, y'all had to go to the Bank of Carmelo to stay relevant. So, mm-hmm. so I definitely, again, because of our natural fandom for Carmelo, now I want Portland to succeed. I want them to do well. And I would like to see Carmelo play in the playoffs. If this were to be his last season, I wouldn't want it to be one he spends in futility fighting to make an eighth seed and then not do it, but I'm not putting Portland anywhere near any of my favorite boys right now. They they got a lot to prove. And obviously they're not healthy, so I don't want to hold too much against them. I do like a lot of the players on their roster. I like their coach. I do hope they figure it out, but they they've been they've been letting the, the house down lately, bro. Mm-hmm. But I know 
we're going to bring episode 41 to a halt. We appreciate Dirk Nowitzki for the inspiration. As always, <laughs> we appreciate all of the support, feedback, and connectivity that you guys bring to the Views from the Clutch podcast. As always, if you want to reach us, you can leave a voice note on any of the podcasting platforms where we are hosted. You can email us directly at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail. Now, when you hear that fade out intro beat or you random producers out of nowhere who are quietly admiring us and thought about it, I'm not going to say you can't send us a track. Definitely do it. Definitely do it. We, we, we're, we're not going to steer away from any feedback, but don't, don't, don't be dismayed if we're loyal to you know, this first opportunity because first off, it's fire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's fire. It's dead fire. So, if, if there are other opportunities out there for you, we definitely want to make those available to you. Um, you can also reach us on social media by tagging us at Views from the Clutch on Instagram and Facebook. And um, on that note, I'm gonna say peace. Peace. <laughs>